Truth News Network. Chaos at the border. Elected officials who don't know where they are, why they're there, or what their job is. Officials who laugh like hyenas when questioned. And when they answer, it reads like science fiction. How do you navigate this sewage? With the ship of truth. TNN. The Truth News Network. And your captain today is Dan Newman. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another week. Welcome And I thank you for joining us at Truth News Network's TNN Live. I hope you had a wonderful weekend. I hope you made the best of it. Yeah, it's a time of year where we don't have football. (laughs) We're all having withdrawals from football. We'll never fear. You're less than a week away now from Super Bowl. Boy, that Arizona facility, which is one of the nicest in the NFL I've been in it, It's incredible. It's a perfect place to host a Super Bowl. And so we're going to see who's going to get the best of the NFL season for this past year. Two really good teams playing. I can't decide Philly or Kansas City. I don't know. I like both cities. I know people that are involved in the Philadelphia ownership team. Eh, But I'm I'm, kind of partial to to the Midwest, Kansas City. I don't know. I haven't made my decision yet. I don't even know what the betting lines are. Of course, that that's not going to make any difference to me because I'm not going to gamble on the game. But this is a time of year when people are just gearing up for everything spring. I got to be honest with you, with all the cold weather we've had, and we're not through it yet, I'm ready for some sunshine, I'm ready for warm temperatures, balmy temperatures in the south, and I'm ready for some beach time. And I promise you, I'm going to spend some time on the beach this year. In a, in a couple of weeks now, we're taking the show on the road, way on the road, all the way around the globe to Israel. We will be broadcasting live starting on September 24th. Uh, listen to me, September February 24th. Let me look at the calendar and make sure. We fly on the 22nd. We leave on the 22nd. We don't get to Tel Aviv in Israel until the 23rd. I'm not sure we'll be able to get the show on the air the 23rd, but definitely on the 24th and uh, all of the following week. Uh, actually, we're, we are getting into the March month, and we will be broadcasting through... I think the second, so pretty much all that second week. We're going to be there. We're going to have a special guest on the show. Uh, One of the special guests that's in the wings now, still not confirmed, is Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. So you're going to want to tune in, and it's really interesting. We'll be doing all of our stuff during the days over there, and they're eight hours ahead of here. So time over there for the broadcast is going to be 5 p.m. local time Israel but it's still going to be 9 to 11 a.m. over here. So we'll actually be through a day ahead of everybody here when the show goes live. So it's going to be convenient, and we're going to, in addition to enjoying things about Israel, and there are so many great things over there. We'll be telling you more about those as we get closer to showtime, but we're going to meet a lot of good people. I'm excited about that. 
And so what do we have in store for you today? Let me just say this. We have Jake Tapper. Now, wait a minute. He's not a a conservative. Why would you have him on? Well, he interviewed a couple of people on Sunday, and I want to let you hear some of the stuff that happened. He spoke to Department of Transportary Secretary Pete Buttigieg, and he also spoke to Senator Marco Rubio, both of them, about the big story of today. It's dominated the news the last four or five days, and what is it? That's that Chinese balloon that flew over the United States for about eight days. And, of course, it's a surveillance balloon. It had all kind of surveillance equipment hanging beneath it, and all the controversy surrounding it, and what is that? Should we knock it out of the sky? It's spying on us. It's China. We can't let that thing watch what's going on here. <laughs> That's the big controversy, and that controversy continues. And so we're going to go there first. You're going to hear from both Buttigieg and Rubio and others. So it's going to be a big day. And so to set the stage for us, thinking of beach music, here's Michael, Michael Franks. He had strong defenses built his heart to surround Not for long When she appeared All the walls tumbled down She had scars Reminding her She was easily deceived Only tears Convinced her once for the heart of love in every different 
daughters, we got two of them, and they both have great musical uh, awareness. They like different kinds of music. Neither one likes what you just heard. In fact, they call Michael Franks and his music elevator music. Now, I, you know, I've been in a lot of elevators in my life. I've never heard a Michael Franks song on any elevator. All that being said, he is a, um, a smooth jazz artist, which is kind of down my street. I love it there. It's a good way to relax, and we need to relax today. I think every one of us will agree. Things are a little bit up in the air, and it's a little bit contentious. And we're seeing that kind of stuff happen on every side. I think you'll agree. Everything. Nothing just seems to be smooth. There's nothing that just happens and it's for good and everything's okay and everybody's in agreement. That doesn't illustrate a single thing at all. Everything is contentious. None of it is positive. None of it is in unity. Unity between people who think differently. Now, let me say this. I'm a stark conservative, although I'm not a Republican. Formerly, I was a Republican, but I guess 10 years ago, I changed my party affiliation in Louisiana to independent. You couldn't be an independent at that particular time. Uh, Initially, I had to register as what they call other Other. If you're not a Republican, if you're not a Democrat, you're other. Well, I guess that holds true. But now you can register as an independent. Now, what does that mean? Why would I do that? Listen, I do not vote simply based on candidates' ideals or the party that they're affiliated with. I vote based upon the principles that appear in the rearview mirror of each of the people that are running for that particular office. What have they done? Not what have they said, what have they done? And because of that, in my life, I guess maybe 25, 30 years, that's the way I've thought about politics. I really, I listen to all of the campaigning and all the promises that are given. Long ago, I just stopped considering those. Why is that? Because very seldom, if ever, did a candidate get elected and then do all the things they promised they would do if the people elected them. But on the national stage, there's only been one in my life that I can recollect doing almost everything that was promised while campaigning, and that was Donald Trump. And we could sit here and talk about Donald Trump and speculate about this and that and what's going to happen and what did he do, what was he responsible for. Yeah, let's talk about that if you want to. Look in your rearview mirror of the four years of Donald Trump's presidency and what happened to you and what happened for you. And just remember the promises that he made and everyone that he fulfilled and recognize the fact that every single campaign promise he made that wasn't fulfilled during those four years came because he could not get the support in Congress to pass legislation to get those things done. First time in my lifetime I can remember any candidate 
doing what they said they were going to do. All that being said, we've got a lot of people in office today that are very skewed. They say they're Republican conservatives right down the middle. We all know they're not. We have that rhino wing, what we call the swamp rhinos, who are people that are a combination of politicians, elected, and bureaucrats, that they just stay in D.C. If they lose an office, they're hired by a lobbying firm and they just stay there, perpetuating the swamp, its existence and its power in manipulating and taking over people in the way of our government. There are conservatives, true conservatives, and you know most of who they are, And every once in a while, one of those quote-unquote true conservatives who at least we thought were truly conservatives, we find out they're in the tank as well. And the other side of the aisle is the same way. Democrats call themselves the party of the people. If they were the party of the people, what would be the first thing that they would ensure happened on their watch? There would be the rule of law confirmed, actuated, and held by all of these people in Washington, D.C., and that party held and made sure every American was held accountable for living by the rule of law. Heck, they don't even rule by the rule of law themselves. It's something like this. The law's for you, but not for me. There's an extreme left section in the Democrat Party. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and her fellow squad members are examples of that far left. And there used to be a moderate element in the Democrat Party, but not so anymore. Oh, they like to think there is, and they claim that there are moderates in the Democrat Party, but they themselves have made the Democrat Party be this. You're far left or you're not. You're not for the American people because no moderate philosophies will work for this nation. I never would have thought that they could have skewed our political landscape so far to the left in just a couple of years, but they have. And yeah, we're finding out that it's been bubbling under the surface for many years. It didn't just happen. What happened was they got a a stand-up, somebody to stand up there, be elected, that they could manipulate to very quickly move us farther and farther and farther to the left. And while doing so, all of those that have been hiding under the bushes that wanted to go that way, they wanted bigger government, They wanted money, 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 money from the government. When they got the straw man up there to represent that particular philosophy, they just went all in. That's what you and I are living today. All that being said, we've got so many things to discuss today. And by the way, any of these that we're talking about at any time, you want to weigh in on, you want to ask questions, You want to drill me, make me look stupid, feel free to do so. I'll pay for your phone call. 1-866-37-TRUTH. 1-866-378-7884. 
Now, among those things that we've got to get into today, we are going to find some type of place where we can be comfortable in our understanding about this Chinese spy balloon that spent more than a week just roaming around our nation, just happening to hover over some of our really, really important military installations and one nuclear missile underground plant. How could that be? Balloons don't have engines. This one just seemed to be able to kind of move around different directions and stuff. We're going to try to reach some consensus about that. And we're going to start with Jake Tapper and Marco Rubio. No, we'll flip it. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about Jake Tapper, Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg. After all, we got to make sure, we got to make certain our Transportation Secretary is over everything dealing with transportation. And that balloon was hovering of only about five to 10,000 feet above where commercial airlines fly. So we're going to start with Jake Tapper and Pete Buttigieg. We're going to do that in two minutes. Stay tuned. When your cable company keeps Papa you on John hold, is not interested in quality. When you get angry, he's obsessed with it. Because Papa John's a pizza maker. It's what he does. That's why you've got Papa's quality guarantee, signed by the man himself. Love your pizza, or we'll deliver another absolutely free. It's my guarantee. Better ingredients, better pizza, Papa John's. And right now, save 25% when you spend 25 pounds or more online. I'm Chad Hall, and I'm here with the first ever Silverado ZR2. This is probably the first time you've seen this truck, but I've been racing a prototype version for over a year. We just inspired this pre-production truck you see behind me. Let's go see what it'll do. Gonna do the same one. Copy. It's got phenomenal power, acceleration, good ground clearance, skid protection, and you've got the Multimatic GSSV shocks, so it's just gonna be that much more of a fun truck. You wanna go a little faster? Go for it. Copy. It's an amazing truck. You're going to want to get your hands on it. Here's the latest traffic report. Looks like miles of trouble-free driving with Napa Auto Parts. Your local Napa Auto Parts dealer in Modesto has a full line of quality parts for your car or truck. Napa Auto Parts keeps America running and Modesto Auto and Truck is ready to keep your vehicle running in tip-top shape for years to come. So if you think your car or truck needs help under the hood, think of Napa Auto Parts at Modesto Auto and Truck Parts, 924 G Street in downtown Modesto, 529-8342, 529-8342. In a world of weapons-grade stupidity, your defense is the truth. TNN, the Truth News Network. So let's take the next few minutes and dig into this Chinese balloon surveillance, whatever you want to call it, spying. It wasn't a weather balloon. We know that. They don't need to know about weather over the United States. And so let's just go to the default position. The Chinese were spying on us. What particular purposes were they? We may never know about that. But we've got experts Oh, we've got experts in the Biden administration. They know the facts. 
and chief among them, the former mayor of a little town in northern Indiana, happens to be able to claim being the home of Notre Dame University. The former mayor, Pete Buttigieg, is now over all the transportation issues in the United States because he is our Secretary of Transportation. So Jake Tapper, that bastion of impartial news and media at CNN, he took the Transportation Secretary on about the Chinese balloon. This suspected Chinese spy balloon entered U.S. airspace eight days ago, two Saturdays ago in Alaska. Once it became clear that this was not an accident, why did the U.S. not shoot it down then? Well, again, the president gave instructions to have it uh, handled, to have it shot down in a way that was safe. Uh, As you may have seen, there's reporting now that the debris field that was created by this balloon when it was shot down was about seven miles long. And so anytime the military is considering an operation like that, they have to consider the safety of the American people. Uh, The president called for this to be dealt with in a way that uh, balanced all of the different risks. That's exactly what happened. Military did a terrific job. From our perspective in, in the DOT, of course, our main concern is the safety of the national airspace. This thing was above uh, uh, where flight operations happen, and so any debris would have passed through that national airspace. But the FAA works very closely with the Pentagon. In this case, had to do ground stops on those airports on the eastern seaboard, close off some of the airspace to make sure that everything was uh, safe and secure during the operation. And as you know, the operation took place without any damage or injury to uh, any American uh, lives or or property. Obviously, that's great that there were no Americans hurt by this. um, But is it acceptable that there were eight days that the spy spy balloon was over the United States, then Canada, then again over the United States from Idaho, Montana, all the way through to the Carolinas for day after day? Well, as the U.S. has communicated, it's not acceptable at all that uh, China sent this Uh, object into our airspace. But in terms of how to handle it, that's something that was done based on assessment of the risks, making sure that uh, uh, there was uh, no uh, uh, risk that outweighed uh, the risks in terms of uh, any damage that would come. And it was uh, handled appropriately. So you say there was a a seven-mile debris field uh, over the Atlantic Ocean where it was shot down. Can you tell us what, if anything, has been able to be recovered? Obviously, there's a lot of interest in in getting the material, getting the debris, and, and, you know, being able to conduct intelligence operations of our own, of the United States' own, against uh, the Chinese uh, for this uh, balloon? I really can't, and anything on the tactics and the timing and and the manner of it uh, ultimately, of course, comes to the Pentagon. I'm just glad that uh, there was no damage or threat to uh, U.S. aviation operations and uh, that this operation took place, was done uh, in a very effective, excellent way, as you would expect from the American military without uh, any consequences for Americans on the ground. What you just heard there is deflect and don't tell the truth. Don't tell blatant lies, but don't tell the truth. Well, maybe, oh, maybe the transportation secretary doesn't know the truth. He was parroting what he was told to say. I'm certain what every person in high office in the Biden administration were told to go out, do these interviews, and here's the context of what you've got to say. Don't go outside the context. There's more to this than we know. 
In fact, to be honest with you, everything that happens in the Biden administration, at least the little parts that they let out for you and I to know about, we always know there's more to it than what we're being told. So here we go. Why not have somebody that is really knowledgeable about government, knowledgeable about operating a government, and operating a department and talking about the goods and the bads in every situation as it pertains to impacting the United States. So Jake and his staff reached out to somebody that fits that bill, Senator Marco Rubio of Florida. So I want you to listen to Tapper talk to Rubio. But while you're listening to this, consider the differences between Pete Buttigieg's response in his interactions with Tapper and that of Senator Rubio. You have said that President Biden should have shot the balloon down earlier. The Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin said, quote, after careful analysis, U.S. military commanders had determined that downing the balloon while over land posed an undue risk to people across a wide area due to the size and altitude of the balloon and its surveillance payload, uh, and as you heard, Secretary Buttigieg uh, just a few minutes ago said that the debris field uh, after the balloon was shot down was about seven miles long. Should President Biden have ordered that it be shot down anyway, regardless of that risk? No, not regardless of the risk. First of all, they, they can track these things. I would hope you can track a slow-moving balloon that clearly is headed here, uh, as you can see from its trajectory. I think that's one of the things we'll learn this week is how soon how late into January did they already know that there was this high-altitude balloon and what its trajectory was and where it was headed, and why didn't they take action at that time? That's number one. I think the other thing that we need to know about it and understand is that why did it take so long for them to disclose this to the American public? I don't think the trajectory of where this balloon was going was a mystery. I think pretty early on, they probably, because of the prevailing winds, because of the direction that it was headed, I think it was pretty clear that this thing was going to enter the northwest in Montana, in Idaho, move its way down the Midwest and exit the, the eastern seaboard just off the Carolinas. I mean, that's an unprecedented flight path. And, 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 I, and why did it wait till Wednesday to notify or Thursday to talk about it to the American people, knowing people were going to be seeing this thing? Uh, as the uh, vice chair of the Senate Intelligence Committee, do you know, um, has the U.S. recovered any parts of the Chinese spy balloon? Has the, and did the monitoring of the balloon during its journey, as far as you know, yield any worthwhile information for the U.S.? Well, we won't know that until we get into a secure setting this week in Washington. And uh, probably most of that is something we won't be able to disclose in any great detail, other than to say this, and that is that, you know, they're going to try to recover this. Apparently, it's in shallow waters. We'll see what they recover from it. But I don't think the technology or the existence of these things is a great mystery. I think what's embedded here is a clear message. It's not a coincidence that this happens leading up to the State of the Union address, leading up to Blinken's visit to China. The Chinese knew that this was going to be spotted. They knew that we were going to have to react to it. They flew it over military installations and sensitive sites across, right across the middle. I mean, look at the flight path of this thing. It's a diagonal shot right through the middle of the continental United States. And the message embedded in this to the world is we can fly a balloon over airspace of the United States of America, and they won't be able to do anything about it to stop us. They calculated this carefully with a message embedded in it. And I think that's the part we can't forget here. It's not just the balloon. It's the message they're trying to send the world that Amer we can do whatever we want and America can't stop us. What information do you think the spy balloon might have gleaned as it, as it traveled? Uh, I know it was over the, the fears that it was over some U.S. military installations. I'm also wondering if uh, 
infrastructure was probably part of the surveillance uh, task it had. Well, again, it would be speculation other than to tell you that those things usually at that altitude and what they're doing is probably trying to collect on signals, on electronic information that's transiting that they can pick up on. There are various other means that they can do that as well. And that's why I go back to the whole point of the message. There are probably other ways that China could acquire whatever they acquired using this balloon. I may be wrong. There may be some unique attributes to it that I'm, that I'm not aware of yet, but we'll learn more about this week. But I think more than anything else, beyond just the ability to collect information, it is the, the, the ability to send a, a clear message. And that is that we have the ability to do this and America can't do anything about it. If they're not going to be able to stop a balloon from flying over U.S. airspace, how is America going to come to your aid if we invade Taiwan or take land from India or take islands from the Philippines and Japan? And, and I think the fact that they would do that leading up to State of the Union, leading up to what was then Blinken's scheduled visit, none of that is a coincidence. And so we need to understand clearly there was messaging behind this. But you, so you think that, first of all, I guess there are two parts to a question I have following up on that. One is the Pentagon says that they know of the Chinese doing this at least four other times previously, once at the beginning of the Biden administration, three times during the Trump administration. It seems to be you're saying, oh, you're saying no, that's not true. But in any case, is, is the, is the, no, what's I know, the what difference? I'm saying, Okay, well, the difference is this. Are we aware? Have we seen the Chinese fly these balloons in the past? Yes. I think there's even Twitter pictures of it flying at one point uh, off the coast of the U.S. Uh, down south somewhere. The, the, the existence of the balloons is not a mystery to people in, in, the, in, in that field. What, what we've never seen, what is unprecedented, and whoever the source was at the Department of Defense would have to acknowledge this, what is unprecedented is a balloon flight that entered over Idaho and, and flew over Montana, over all these sensitive military installations, Air Force bases, ICBM fields, right across the middle of the country. That has never happened before. That is unprecedented. That, that it flew briefly over some part of the U.S. or continental U.S., that's one thing. But what we saw this week, it's unprecedented. And that's why everyone's reacting the way they're reacting. We've never seen this. So th this is no comparison to anything that may have happened up to this point. Your colleague and friend, uh, Republican Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina, accused President Biden of, quote, dereliction of duty uh, by allowing the Chinese spy balloon to fly across the U.S. Th that's a pretty strong accusation. Do you agree with that? Well, I think the dereliction of duty begins with this. Why not on Tuesday or Wednesday? You know people are going to see this. At some point, you're going to have to disclose it. And they probably didn't want to because they didn't want to have their hand forced on canceling this uh, Blinken visit. And, and so they didn't, so didn't want to have to talk about it. But why didn't the president go on television? He has the ability to convene the country in cameras and basically explain what we're dealing with here and why he's made the decisions he's making and what they intend to do. I don't understand. Once they get, went public with it, knowing the amount of interest this was going to generate, presidents have the ability to go before a camera, go before the nation, and basically explain these things early on. And, and his failure to do so, is I don't understand that. I don't understand why he wouldn't do that. And, and that is the beginning of dereliction of duty. And the second is, we have to act swiftly on these things. I think that's part of the, one of the things the Chinese are trying to message, and that is the U.S. had to see this coming and decided they couldn't or wouldn't do anything about it early on and now had to wait until this thing went across the middle of the country. And, um, and, and what are we going to do the next time this happens? Are we going to allow it to fly through here again? Uh, and, and, and shoot it down once again to the East Coast? I mean, these are questions the White House needs to answer. And I don't think these are partisan uh, claims I'm making. I think there would be a, a broad agreement that we need to know moving forward what our policy is going to be with regards to this. So contrast what you just heard from the senator speaking with Jake Tapper to what you heard Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg say visiting to Tapper. 
the differences between the two responses are stark. One was prepared, that was the Buttigieg's report, and the other was just using common sense. The kind of common sense you learn when you dig in, you root in and learn your job, which Senator Rubio, he did. He's done it for quite a while now, and he understands government, not just ours, but those of other countries around the world. So he puts all that knowledge together. Here's the question I want you to consider. Why would the Biden administration, why would they march out Pete Buttigieg to have this conversation with Jake Tapper. Don't you think they should have put some expert out there that could answer questions in an expert fashion? If that was what this president wanted to do, he would have, number one, as Rubio suggested he should have, addressed the American people. And he could still do that. But he didn't do that. He relied on the mouthpiece of this administration, mainstream media, to handle it over the weekend. No presidential address. Now, somebody told me yesterday, well, he'll cover it in his State of the Union message this week. Do you think he's even going to bring it up? No, he can't do that because he's got to prop up his administration and make it look as good as he possibly can, certainly just glossing over any of the horrors that are being right now portrayed among our lives, every American. He wants to gloss that over, and this Chinese spy balloon that his administration basically let just sweep back and forth across the top of our nation. And you heard Buttigieg's explanation. Oh, we couldn't take it down over land. You know, the the, the stuff that falls from it is going to spread out over six or seven miles, and that might hurt somebody. It was over Montana. When it was over Canada, there were vast expanses where nobody lived. There was no reason not to bring it down. And look, Elon Musk sends a rocket into the air, people aboard, and then lands it back on the same pad that it shot off from. We don't have the technology to do something similar to that. It just makes me think there's more than we know. You know, every once in a while when somebody tells you something and you're really concerned about it, and you get a lame explanation, and even though there's an explanation given, when they turn and walk away, you think, ah, you know what, I just don't think that's all factual. I don't believe I'm getting the facts. That's the way I feel, and a bunch of Americans feel. What could have happened is they could have sent a real expert out over the weekend to do the talk shows and give us some credible explanation for what and why. So why didn't they do that? That's the big question. We heard all the stories and the explanations. It was to protect the American people, yada, 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 the military, 
They talked the president out of doing it. Joe Biden wanted to shoot it out of the air, but the military said, wait a minute, you know, we can handle it. Just let it get out of way where it's not going to crash into people's homes, possibly harm a bunch of people. We can't take that chance, Mr. President. That's the narrative they gave us. I don't think that's true. I think there was a consensus, and the consensus began at either Joe Biden or his handlers, whoever's marching him out, saying what they want him to say. I think it began there. And everybody else in this administration, they toe the line. Whatever the party line is, they're right there. So on Thursday, if you'll remember, this is really when it began. The Pentagon said that it it acted immediately to protect against the collection of sensitive information from the balloon. No explanation of what that might entail and how that sensitive U.S. information was being put together and drawn up to that balloon. But geopolitical experts weighed in and said there's little reason to believe those efforts were successful as the balloon almost certainly transferred surveillance daily over to China as it flew over our several military bases and our ICBM missile field. Brandon Weikert, who's the author of Winning Space, said that he believes China successfully gathered U.S. military and technological information through its spy balloon. Quote, with all due respect to the Pentagon, I think that's BS. They're saying that to protect their ego and image, Weikert said. This was a long-range surveillance mission prompted partly by comments from the Pentagon about the possibility of going to war. Gordon Chang, you see him all the time. He's a senior fellow at the Gale Stone Institute. He said it all but confirmed China's mission was successful. The most scandalous aspect, he said, was that Biden was not briefed on the balloon until days after it was discovered by the Pentagon. If President Biden was not informed as he claims, then he has cause to dismiss the Secretary of Defense and the Chairman of the Joint Chief of Staff. This is Chang speaking. This failure could have grave consequences for the United States. Now listen to this. The Pentagon said on Saturday, oh, you know, there were three similar spy balloons from China that flew over the U.S. under the Trump administration. A claim, by the way, that is disputed roundly by former Defense Secretary Mark Esper and former Secretary of Defense Mike Pompeo. A senior administration official said that the existence of the Chinese spy balloons over U.S. territory amid the Trump administration was not discovered until the Biden administration took over. Now, where did they find that out? (laughs) If it happened and the Trump administration wanted to cover up, they sure wouldn't have left a trail of evidence, right? Rebecca Koffler, a former defense intelligence agency offer specializing in foreign aerospace, said there is a high probability that the Chinese government exfiltrated sensitive U.S. data through that spy balloon. This brazen intelligence operation 
mounted by Beijing targeting the U.S. homeland almost certainly enabled the Chinese military to glean critical insights into the Biden administration's policy and posture towards China and President Biden's red lines when it comes to foreign aerospace assets, breaching of U.S. sovereign airspace, Koffler said. These insights are very useful for China in developing deterrence strategies for dissuading the United States from intervening in China's future aggressive operations against Taiwan. Now, the Pentagon spokesman, what are they going to say? Well, they're going to cover for the president, right? They waited to destroy the balloon over concerns the debris could harm civilians and destroy property. That's the party line. Weikert said there may be more at play. As Secretary of State Anthony Blinken was set to visit China on an official trip this week before it was suspended after media backlash over the balloon, leading to a public debacle that made us look weak. This was a political decision. They didn't want to upset China before the visit by Blinken. That's according to Weikert. Biden is willing to sell out our national security to get a piece of paper with China on global warming. (laughs) Oh my gosh. This is a typical Biden administration faux pas. Somebody, somebody dropped the ball. I have no idea who that might be. And I got to be honest with you, there is a possibility though it's very slim, that what the Biden administration is telling us is absolutely true. But then again, that would be a a conundrum because they don't tell us the truth. Sometimes they lie. Sometimes they just don't give us any information. This one, this one's still hanging out there. We don't know yet. The truth. Straight. No chaser. TNN. I love going all natural. It just makes me feel better. Nothing between me and my 100% all natural, juicy, grass fed beef. Introducing the all-natural burger, the first ever in fast food, with no antibiotics, no added hormones, and no steroids. Only at Carl's Jr. What are you doing? Should we pick him up? He has Bud Light. He has an axe. But he has Bud Light. And an axe. I'm sure there's a reason for it. Hey, buddy. What's with the axe? It's, uh bottle opener. Hop in. Refreshingly smooth Bud Light. Always worth it. Look, here's Bud Light. And a chainsaw.
Here's the troubling part of this Chinese satellite thing. It wasn't a satellite. We don't know. We weren't told what was hanging from the bottom of the balloon. We may never know, probably won't, because if it had substance to it when divers went into it, it was in 47 feet of water, which is not deep. And they could go out and pick up everything that fell from this balloon. Even if they find it and find all kind of stuff, nobody's going to tell us about it because I can promise you it's not going to look good for the Biden administration. Oh, they may send Buttigieg out again to tell us that everything was cool. There was nothing there. It was just they were they were doing weather investigations of U.S. weather. They can tell us anything. I I, I just can't believe much of what we are told by this administration. And this just illustrates how bad it really is. So, the Trump administration weighed in. (laughs) I know that doesn't surprise you. Former President Trump and a bunch of his top national security and defense officials, they got right in line and refuted the Biden administration's officials' claim that Chinese surveillance balloons briefly transited the continental U.S. during the Trump administration. Every one of them said it never happened. One of those was former CIA director. Yeah, he was. Former Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, he said, absolutely, it never happened. The president himself, Donald Trump, said this never happened. It would never have happened. It never happened with us in the Trump administration. And if it did, we would have shot it down immediately, Trump said. John Bolton, who can't stand Donald Trump, even though he was in Donald Trump's administration, he was the national security advisor. He said he never heard of anything like this under his tenure. And as national security advisor, of course, he would have known. I don't know of any balloon flights by any power over the U.S. during my tenure, and I've never heard any of this occurring before I joined in 2018, Bolton said. I haven't heard of anything that occurred after that, after I left. Bolton said that if the Biden administration has specific examples, they need to tell Congress. And he doubled down. He said, I can say with 100% certainty, It did not happen during my tenure. And then Robert O'Brien, who served as the national security advisor before Bolton, told Fox News that he had no knowledge of anything like this occurring. Unequivocally, I never was briefed on this issue, O'Brien said. And that, of course, included Matt Pottinger, who served as Deputy National Security Advisor, and Allison Hooker, who served as Senior Advisor to Asia. They were not briefed on these activities. Former Acting Director of National Intelligence Richard Grinnell, who led the intelligence community at the beginning of the COVID pandemic, he said he did one of the biggest intelligence deep dives on China, their spying, and the origins of COVID during his tenure. It never came up, he said. If a balloon had come up, we would have known. Someone in the intelligence community would have known, and it would have bubbled up to me to brief the president. John Ratcliffe, former director of national intelligence, 
who led the National Intelligence Office after Grinnell and through the end of the Trump administration, he refuted the claim. It's not true. The American people can refute it for themselves. Do you remember during the Trump administration when photographers on the ground and commercial airline pilots were talking about a spy balloon over the U.S. that people could look up and see even with the naked eye and that a media that hated Donald Trump wasn't reporting? And then he said, I don't remember that either because it never happened. And the list of people that deny it goes on and on and on. You know what this is about? This is about what I want to talk to you about right now. Leadership or the lack thereof. To be effective, leadership has got to have instilled from top to bottom of its operations veracity. In other words, the truth telling the truth even when the truth isn't comfortable, even when the truth looks bad. And that in itself is part of accountability. I want to talk to you for just a couple of minutes about accountability. And when I was a kid, I lived in South Louisiana, Lafayette, and I have an olden brother. We were held to one specific rule in that family accountability for everything. Whatever mom said to us, we better do it. And if we disobeyed, there were always accountability measures implemented by mom. Always. And what were those accountability things? Well, when we were boys, we were still young. We were five and eight years old when we moved to Lafayette from South Texas. The accountability that was meted out by mom, Graham, her name was Alma, It was done with a simple house shoe. From the time I can remember, she could will that weapon, that house shoe, as effectively as a Roman gladiator did his sword. And she used that house shoe a bunch of times, too. And it was always effective. So when we had kids, they loved to visit Gran, my mother, down in Lafayette. So during the summer, our two daughters would spend two or three weeks with her. They were terrorized by that same house shoe that kept me in step years earlier. And they learned it was a form of accountability to make sure they did what they were told to do. Now, we didn't pick up the house shoe mantra with our kids. In retrospect, maybe we should have. Why didn't we do that is a mystery. So what was the magic of Gran's shoe? It wasn't paceful. It it didn't hurt when she executed it. It was a flimsy little house shoe, but it was the dominating signal that disobedience would not be tolerated. And it quickly, very quickly, became the face of accountability when it was held in her hand. That entire process has disappeared in our nation. Two or three generations that have become adults, most of who have missed the grand house shoe in their homes growing up. In today's America, the lack of accountability is obvious everywhere as we watch it play out on the national and the international stage. 
It's so obvious. And it's so dangerous. I recently did a personal examination of the role accountability has played in my life and that of our children. I came to one conclusion. Accountability has been a pillar of the foundation of American society and culture. Sadly, though, we're living in an atmosphere today without any accountability in most cases. We live in an atmosphere of anything goes, fly by the seat of your pants. We're missing a lot, and that's our problem. Recently, it dawned on me that many Americans simply don't know about or don't understand how critical to humans is accountability. Why is that? I don't have the answer. If it's purposeful, shame on whoever made that decision. However, I'm fairly certain it just slipped from our families as we all became busier and busier and our lives became so chaotic. We don't have time to consider the values of our forefathers, our grandparents, our parents that they embraced. Subsequently, there are at least three generations of Americans that do not use accountability. So what the heck does that comprise, this accountability thing? Well, there are three types of accountability, personal, social, and law enforcement, government rolled into one. Three. I know that may seem pretty simple, but believe me, it's not simple. So let's let's just talk about these very quickly. Personal accountability. This is the simplest type, but it may be the most important. Accountability begins and ends with us. Personal accountability must be taught and it must be received, adopted by the person it's taught to before it can be successful. And it begins in the home. Parents, caretakers, teachers, and coaches are principals in instilling accountability in our children. From toddlers to teenagers, no one can credibly maintain that these are the absolutes in implementing the understanding and importance of accepting accountability. It seldom is happily received, but it is an absolute for any of us to receive and implement accountability in our lives. These people are with us around the clock and hold us accountable. Without them, these Caretakers, parents, teachers, coaches, principals. Without them, seldom is accountability adopted at our early ages. And there's nobody left to do it as we get old, so we just fly by the seat of our pants. Much of the criminality we fearfully watch escalate across the nation. It happens in large part because of the lack of accountability for those who commit crimes. Most of these people are those who do not have the undergirding of parents, teachers, and other folks like high school coaches. A strong foundation is necessary to be able to even learn accountability. Too often we see teenagers, young adults getting caught up in criminal acts of every kind. 
Not all of them can point to the lack of senior peer accountability while they were young, but more than 90% of those charged with criminal acts can point to this as even being their prime cause. No accountability. Children raised in a home with no father really escalate the numbers of those in this category. So what about social accountability? How do your kids get along with other kids? Here's a bigger question. How do you get along with other adults? Make no mistake. Social interactions with all those in our lives outside of our homes are critical to the growth of personal acceptance of accountability. Whether it's at school with interactions with fellow students, teachers, advisors, and coaches, or getting along with those with whom we react in social groups, accountability for our actions in these circumstances is a must. And groups of every kind, like neighbors, fellow church or synagogue attenders, social groups, and even those in school activities outside of school. We must know how and adopt accountability and lead others toward that goal. Just think about it. The rash of school shootings, shootings at shopping malls, churches, and other social places are fueled in large by shooters that have not adopted accountability. No credible person can deny today's violence comes largely because of individuals with histories of the lack of accountability. Yes, much of it happens in single-parent homes. One definition of personal accountability is taking responsibility for your behavior and taking action to repair the harm. Accountability in young people takes different forms that in the traditional juvenile justice system, accountability is interpreted as punishment or adherence to a set of rules laid down by the system. However, neither being punished nor following a set of rules involves taking full responsibility for behavior or making repairs for the harm caused. Punishment and adherence to rules do not facilitate moral development at a level that is achieved by taking full responsibility for behavior. Taking full responsibility for behavior requires five things. Understanding how that behavior affected other human beings, not just the courts or officials, by the way. Acknowledging that the behavior resulted from a choice that could have been made differently. Third, acknowledging to all affected that the behavior was harmful to others. Four, taking action to repair the harm when possible. And five, making changes necessary to avoid such behavior in the future. In this model, accountability goals are often met through the process itself as much as through actions decided by the process. You learn how to do it when you just go through it. To be accountable for our behaviors, to answer to individuals who are affected by our behavior, face-to-face meetings with community members, victims in which an offender takes responsibility and hears about the impact on others, 
that constitutes significant forms of accountability. To fully acknowledge responsibility for harm to others, it's painful. It is, however, a process that opens up an opportunity for personal growth that is likely to reduce repeating harmful behavior. It's difficult to accept full responsibility for harming others if you don't have a support system in place and a sense that there will be an opportunity to gain acceptance in the community. Therefore, accountability and support must go hand in hand. And then the final spot, legal law enforcement or government accountability. Little or no such accountability has raced throughout our nation over the last two decades. It just hasn't. In fact, it's eroded. Experts struggle to find agreement on why it's so prevalent compared to that in the last century. No matter where one chooses to place blame, it is getting worse, it is taking lives, and is growing in a volume and intensity. We've got to find the answers. Principally, we see it exposed in violent crime, anti-police attacks, gang violence, police brutality, domestic battery, major theft, But those are just a few likely scenarios in which it flourishes. Over and over, we see spikes in police violence that take lives needlessly. These acts that happen across the nation are rare, but they still exist. And accountability for those in law enforcement is mandatory unless we the people demand that rule of law be executed in every case. These mentioned types of violence will only continue and become more deadly and more often. There have been numerous law enforcement accountability programs put in place in law enforcement agencies across the nation. Some work, some don't. But if they are not used and not demanded, we're going to continue to see random acts of police violence. What about political accountability. Every American sees it happening every day. A congressman gets caught in insider trading. Someone bribes a sheriff to drop charges against a party guilty of a heinous crime. A federal judge chooses to turn a blind eye to a case before the court to secure a promised appointment to a higher court. Politicians illegally raid their own campaign funds to use campaign dollars for themselves. And the most dominant example of no political accountability is that regarding our southern border today. Let's just be blunt. Anybody who comes into the U.S. from anywhere outside of our nation without having an official invitation to do so is breaking federal immigration law when they do it. And the Biden administration and those charged to protect and defend the Constitution and the laws it contains are guilty of those same immigration laws and even other laws. We're discussing the currently elected President Joe Biden. Wrapped into that illegality conundrum with President Biden is his Secretary of Homeland Security, Alejandro Mayorkas. Both men, one elected, one confirmed by the Senate, 
are also guilty of suborning the illegal acts of millions of illegal aliens that have entered the nation and several million staying here in the U.S. This, by law, is all illegal. How do you get those cases resolved? That's the simplest example of the lack of accountability and how we need to hold those who break these criminals, hold them accountable. They must be arrested and charged with multiple federal law violations and then be tried in the federal court as the law demands. To quote former House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, no one is above the law, not even the president. Going back to the beginning in many cases is an almost impossible task to undertake. None of us can do that. But what must happen today is a U-turn by all of us if we are not being held accountable, if we don't held, hold ourselves accountable, we got to do a U-turn. Go to the time and spot and circumstances at which we let the ship, the ship America turn away from the rule of law and accountability to warmly embrace lawlessness, permissiveness, the thumbing of noses by many in law enforcement and politics, we got to go back there. There's no other way to start to fix this mess than that. Think about it. Today, hardcore criminals who have committed hardcore crimes are being released from prison for their crimes only to show back up in a week or two because a Soros-funded judge pulls the trigger. In most such cases, major alleged crimes are dropped and those illegals are released. That process lights the fire of criminality in the hearts of millions of those already walking our nation as illegals. Am I saying every illegal that's here is bad? No, not at all. But they broke the law coming here. They should hold themselves accountable for breaking our laws. It only strengthens the guilty while scaring the helpless. But it's happening daily. And more and more people are giving their lives or having their lives taken because of it. It's just not, it's not in a good place. Accountability. The way we hold our elected officials, the only way we can hold our election, our, our elected officials is at election time, and we can only do that every two years. Before we know it, 2024 is going to be here in the fall and November. Elections. Every member of Congress will come up for election that day. And it's also a presidential election and a vice presidential election. But we can't wait until November of 24. We got to start holding ourselves accountable. We got to start holding those in our charge accountable, our kids, employees at work. Now, let me just say this. If you have not been acting that way, and I am pretty confident that most people that listen to TNN Live 
already have. But if you haven't and you want to find out, there are plenty of sources out there. Just do an internet search. It's pretty easy to find the root and the ways to affect accountability in your life and the lives of others that you deal with, that you can impact. Lots of ways to do it. We just have to make the tough decision to go get her done. Even if it is hard, it's critical that we do it, and we do it now. When your cable company keeps you on hold, you get angry. When you get angry, you go blow off steam. When you go blow off steam, accidents happen. When accidents happen, you get an eye patch. When you get an eye patch, people think you're tough. When people think you're tough, people want to see how tough. And when people want to see how tough, you wake up in a roadside ditch. Don't wake up in a roadside ditch. Get rid of cable and upgrade to DirecTV. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Ah, luxury. The aroma is full-bodied, the flavor is decadent, the touch divine. And the drive? Yes, the drive of luxury is simply infinity. Introducing the Infinity Luxury Test Tour. If you think you are familiar with luxury, you haven't driven an Infinity. Infinity of Elk Grove invites you to truly become familiar with luxury and take a luxury test tour. It's like a test drive, but with more luxury. We invite you to drive luxury to luxury, not for an hour or even a day, but for an entire weekend. Your choice. Select your Infinity and motor off to a luxury weekend in Lake Tahoe or Napa Valley. And yes, all the luxury is on us. Introduce yourself to LuxuryTestTour.com and truly become familiar with luxury. Infinity of Elk Grove is literally giving you the keys to a luxury experience like none other. LuxuryTestTour.com. Drive luxury, drive infinity. Infinity of Elk Grove. Expect more. Yo. Some people think it don't make sense that I'm a horse whisperer. Fancy prance, yo! But you know what else don't make sense? Bye. I mean, it's good for you, but still somehow tastes amazing. Sideways fancy prance, you heard? Yeah. Clippity-clop, clippity-clop. Yo, I just whispered all of y'all. Too easy. Bye. Five calories, antioxidants, and tastes amazing? None of this makes sense. In the clown car of the deep state, you will never find a greater den of scum and villainy. You need a hero. Here again, blaster in hand, is Dan Newman. You know what's exciting to me with this brand new Congress, the House of Representatives being controlled by the Republican majority. What's encouraging to me is they are being communicative with all of us. They're speaking on national levels and giving us hard facts. For instance, I got through an email, I got an email that says, here's what the House Oversight Committee is digging into this week. So listen to this. First up is a hearing dealing with Biden's border crisis. Tomorrow at 10 a.m. Eastern, the House Oversight Committee is going to convene for the On Front Lines of the Border Crisis, a hearing with chief patrol agents. Notably, the Biden Department of Homeland Security sought to muzzle any and all of its border agents to keep them from testifying before this oversight committee. But after the committee chairman 
Representative James Comer from Kentucky reminded the Biden administration that he can execute compulsory power, DHS relented, two border agents are going to answer questions about how the policies implemented by Joe Biden and Alejandro Mayorkas, DHS secretary, have impacted their ability to secure our country. The two agents testifying, Gloria Chavez, the chief border patrol agent in the Rio Grande Valley sector, and John Modlin, the chief border patrol agent in the Tucson sector. The Biden administration's radical open borders policies have ignited the worst border crisis in our history. That was Chairman Comer ahead of the hearing. Starting on day one in office, the president and his administration rolled back deterrent focused policies, halted the construction of the border wall, gutted interior enforcement, pushed amnesty for illegal immigrants, all of which have made it difficult for the U.S. Border Patrol agents to secure the border. At Tuesday's hearing, Comer promised lawmakers and Americans will hear firsthand from the Border Patrol about this humanitarian and national security crisis. Then on Wednesday morning, 10 a.m. Eastern, this committee, the Oversight Committee, will hear testimony from three former high-ranking Twitter execs in the first part of a series of hearings on protecting speech from government interference and social media bias which will begin by diving into Twitter's role in suppressing news stories and other expression about Hunter Biden's laptop. So, there's an outgrowth of the Twitter files released by Elon Musk and a group of independent journalists, the first hearing diving into the Fed's work with social media companies to circumvent the First Amendment, has got some names that have come to be even more infamous as new information about Twitter's suppression of expression that Democrats find to be inconvenient. Wednesday, testifying, former Chief Legal Officer Vijaya Gadi, a leading voice behind the platform's decision to ban former President Trump, former Deputy General Counsel James Baker, who the Twitter file showed internally, admitted that the Hunter Biden story did not constitute a breach of Twitter's rules, but instructed staff to continue suppressing the story anyway. And the third is former global head of trust and safety, Yoel Roth, who oversaw the activist teams of 20 employees who targeted conservatives and Republicans principally, all while slapping each other on the back for each new scalp they claimed in their campaigns. Now that Hunter has been revealed by his lawyers to, as well as we know, be the owner of the infamous laptop, there's a whole lot of questions for those who tried to discredit the laptop as some sort of Russian disinformation. I wonder if they're going to call those 51 former national security experts that signed that letter and sent it to the world, making sure everybody knew the Hunter Biden laptop was a Russian ploy. It was not real. Accountability is coming. That's Chairman Comer. He said that in a statement previewing Wednesday's hearing. Americans deserve answers about this attack on the First Amendment 
and why big tech and the swamp colluded to censor this information about the family, uh, Biden family syndicate selling access for profit. So that's what they're going to do tomorrow and Wednesday. Isn't it interesting? Here we are early Monday morning, and they put out what they're going to do so we can look in, we can listen in if we want to. And, of course, you'll be able to do that. I'm not sure which and where, but C-SPAN's one and two. Two handles the Senate, but C-SPAN one handles the House of Representatives. So um, I'll uh, I'll see by tomorrow morning if we can get the schedule of uh, televising of this oversight committee's hearings tomorrow. It's going to be interesting to watch. There's another bit of Chinese government news. It has to do with Chinese people in the name of their government have been buying up U.S. farmland. And so a lot of conservatives are concerned about it and they want us to do something to stop it. Representative Mary Miller, a Republican from Illinois, is getting really hot about it. She said, we're on a dangerous path. We've known for a long time that we've been allowing ourselves to be too economically dependent on China. Joe Biden is just focusing on Americans as being domestic terrorists instead of focusing on our true adversaries. I can't even imagine what will happen if we lose our self-sufficiency in farming, and we've got to take this threat very seriously, she continued. She's going to reintroduce a bill today entitled Save American Farms from Adversaries Act. It's meant to protect U.S. food security, help stabilize our housing prices, and would give the president power to prohibit the purchase of public or private real estate in the U.S., quote, by any foreign person, including corporations and partnerships, for the five-year period after this law is enacted. This is her first bill, and it states the Chinese nationals have, quote, led foreign investments in homes in the U.S. for the past seven years, and points out that in her own state of Illinois, foreign companies and individuals have purchased 853,813 acres of agricultural land worth approximately $6.3 billion. She said, my husband and I are actually involved in agriculture. We raise grain and cattle, and we live in a rural area. So firsthand, I can tell you that the people locally are very concerned about this. We did introduce a bill a year ago, but since then, we know that hundreds of thousands of acres of farm ground has been purchased by China and other foreign entities. We need to be aggressive and stop foreign land purchases specifically farmland. Now she pointed to a video that was released on Friday by Donald Trump talking about how China has many thousands of spies working in the U.S. in business, finance, academia, technology, media, and likely even government. In the video, the 45th president further detailed how Joe Biden, upon taking office, demanded the shutdown 
of an initiative aimed at Chinese espionage and intellectual property theft. Miller warned that the whole world will be impacted if the U.S. allows China to take our country down. She said she was on Friday with President Trump. He's strong. He loves our country. He was strong as a leader and decisive. And he said, shoot the balloon down. He was always aggressive with our enemies, which gave us peace in the world through American strength, she said. Now, this is Representative Miller speaking. She said the whole world is going to be impacted if we allow China to take our country down. President Trump was addressing the threat that China was. He understood that they had infiltrated all of our institutions. He was being aggressive and going after that. And now we have a man who's compromised. Our national security is compromised. Why, she said? Because our president is personally compromised. So we're not even in an election cycle yet. When is it really going to formally begin? Yeah, President Trump, former President Trump, has announced he's going to run for election in 2024. Uh, former ambassador to the United Nations and formerly South Carolina governor, Nikki Haley. She hasn't formally announced, but she put it out last week that she's going to run. Of course, we expect the president, Joe Biden, to announce shortly that he's going to run. But even though we're not there, we need to start thinking about what needs to change. We talked about accountability just a little bit ago. We need accountability for those that make every decision, good or bad. If it's a good, if it turns out to be a good decision that any one of our government officials makes, let's applaud that and let's push for others to make decisions regarding very serious matters in the same ways. We got to push for it. Donald Trump came out on Friday. And he talked about things that he was going to do if he is reelected. If He said if he returned to the White House, a reformed FBI and Justice Department would be hunting down Chinese spies, not Republicans. He talked about that special initiative. He said, as president, I established that initiative at the Department of Justice that was tasked with the sole mission of targeting Chinese espionage here in the U.S. Joe Biden, he said, terminated that program right away, suggested that it was somehow racist. According to published reports, this came shortly after 160 faculty members of the University of Pennsylvania where I went to school, to the Wharton School of Finance at U pen, home now of the infamous Biden Center, wrote to Merrick Garland and demanded that the Chinese espionage initiative be shut down immediately. Now put that in perspective of what we found out happened. Various Chinese individuals and maybe companies run, possibly owned by the Chinese Communist Party, donated to the University of Pennsylvania 
when the Biden Center was open there, millions of dollars. And do you think it's just odd that those 160 faculty members, they're on staff at the University of Pennsylvania, They're the ones that wrote the letter to Mayor Garland demanded the Chinese espionage initiative be shut down immediately. The DOJ terminated it February 23rd of last year following complaints from the Chinese Communist Party, left-wing activists, academics, Democrat politicians, and organizations that it was racist. It doesn't matter what conundrum we're looking at in government. Always begin at one place, one spot. Follow the money. The love of money is the root of all evil. What does that mean? Whoever establishes anything that's done, the root, the fundamental on which they base their choices is about money. Trump said, I took the most dramatic action of any administration to curtail China's ability to conduct espionage in the U.S. And when I'm back in the White House, those efforts will be expanded in a very big way. Instead of hunting down Republicans, a reformed FBI and DOJ, We'll be hunting down Chinese spies. We will create new partnerships with business and universities to give them the tools to protect themselves from insider threats. And he noted, Trump did, the presence of Chinese police stations here in the U.S. One in New York was shut down after a raid by the FBI last fall. Hear all about it in the news? If you heard it at all, it was just a casual mention. The FBI even recently admitted that China operates a secret police force on American soil. Imposing the iron fist of the Communist Party, the rule, think of this, the Communist Party rule on Chinese nationals in the United States. Just think about that. We will shut that down, and we will shut it down cold. Haven't heard a single word about this until just recently. But it's out there. It's out there. It's it's running rampant. We have the Chinese Communist Party government establishing police stations in our country, and they're doing it purposely to hold Chinese nationals that are here to hold them accountable to the Chinese government. I've never heard of this happening. I don't think it's happened in any other nation. It's happening on Joe Biden's watch. Now, I'm going to get away from China, but I want to point something out first. Just think for a second, what if the Chinese balloon the spy balloon that spent eight days over American soil, finding its way, oh, benignly, no direction. You know, it's way up high in the wind. The winds are the ones, the things that direct it 
for its path, and it just happened to take it across multiple military bases in the U.S., and it just happened to fly over and hang around a little bit in Montana, the greatest field of nuclear ICBMs that we have. It just happened to hover over that location in Montana for a day and a half. Flew over a bunch of other military bases. It just happened that way. It was, it was you know, the wind did it. And the Biden administration were notified before it came on shore up in Alaska and did nothing about it. Why is that? Why would a United States president take the chance of the Chinese actually being successful with that spying, the equipment hanging below it, flying directly over the United States, some of our greatest military establishments? Why would he let that happen? You think maybe he's colluded a little bit, maybe obligated a little bit? Follow the money. And we happen to know, factually, Joe Biden is and was involved through his son, Hunter Biden, with members of the Chinese Communist Party in business, welcomed them to the United States when he was vice president, met with them, talked to them on the phone. And by the way, when he was vice president, he took Hunter with him on Air Force Two to Beijing to meet with Xi Jinping and various Chinese tycoons that owned and operated major corporations that invested $1.5 billion dollars in a hedge fund that Hunter Biden talked to them about. He didn't own it, and he had never been involved in a hedge fund, and they gave $1.5 billion to this hedge fund to invest for them? You think Joe Biden had anything to do with that? Follow the money. When you're tempted to say there's no there there, before you leave that, and abandon that thought process. Just ask this question. Where is the money in this? Where's the money in this? You want me to drop another bomb on you? One that broke over the weekend? It has to do with the Biden administration. And it has to do with major amounts of Joe Biden money being involved in it. And it happened in Afghanistan. I've got the details of that next. Bombshell bribery allegations related to Biden's botched Afghanistan withdrawal. You got an Italian news report. It's one of those network reports that say Qatar paid ex-Afghanistan president Ashraf Ghani $110 million to not resist the Taliban, along with some other warlords. The leaked documents reveal he wasn't the only leader of the war-torn country to be bribed. It would make sense, perhaps, why the Taliban took over so quickly and basically without firing a shot. That, of course, is the structure of what we have to tell you. And uh, Mike Pompeo, 
former Secretary of State, before that CIA director, is up next to tell you about it. You don't want to miss this, folks. It's another blockbuster and a bad situation for the Biden administration. He'll never let you fall to the lies. Your bulwark against the tide of fake news. Dan Newman, TNN, The Truth News Network. What is Coca-Cola? Is it an excuse to get together? Since 1886, Coca-Cola has been passing on smiles from generation to generation. We've been giving kids scholarships. Like the early birds and the all-nighters. And you get to enjoy what matters most. Coca-Cola. Drink up. You know, during that short break there, I apologize for the uh, electronic manipulation problem at the front of that. But... uh, we were talking about Mike Pompeo. He, you're going to hear from him in just a second. And uh, he was, over the weekend, on Fox News on one of their shows. I can't remember which one it was. But we took this conversation. We took this conversation from that interview that happened. But Mike Pompeo, we know him as the former CIA director Uh, We know him as the former Secretary of State in the Trump administration. But I think he's going to make a run for the presidency. Maybe run in 2024, not planning on winning, hoping if he does, that's great news. But looking ahead, 2028 and beyond. But Mike Pompeo, I like him. I always have. He always seems to be straightforward, and it seems to me in great fashion he's not plugged in to all of the politically correct stuff in uh, Washington, D.C. Remember, when you listen to him here, this is from this show over the weekend on Fox News. You listen to him here. He's the former director of the CIA. Let's listen. Former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo was involved in the peace talks initially until the transition. Let's get his take. He's the author of the brand new best-selling book, Never Give an Inch, Fighting for the America I Love. So, Mr. Secretary, I normally I'd want to be the first interview. We did on that. We did it with Fox and Friends. But I'll take you this week on this report. Do you think it's possible for Gahani to take a $110 million check and just leave? I'll say this. My interactions with President Ghani were that this was a very weak leader who was a very selfish leader. I was deeply unsurprised that when it became difficult, he fled the country in the same way he was out of the country during their first wars. Uh, he, he he spent more time trying to make friends in Washington, D.C. than he did on the ground in Afghanistan. I, I've seen the reporting that you're referring to. 
Uh, Brian, it, it's, it's possible that some of that's accurate. We need to know more, but make no mistake about it. President Ghani wasn't someone who was working to build an Afghanistan that could defend itself from the threats of the Taliban. He was always depending on the United States of America and our soldiers, sailors, airmen and Marines to do the heavy lifting for him. And when it got tough, he fled. I want to bring you to your next future. If you read your book, you understand you're goal-oriented, and no goal is out of your reach if you choose to grind it out and do it, and you look at yourself as a grinder. I wanted to tell you, there's two people that you know quite well that serve with that are already uh, pretty much considering uh, getting into the race and are virtually in it. It is Tim Scott and Nikki Haley. Listen to them. We need to go in a new direction. So do I think I could be that leader? Yes. It is time for us to give back to uniting this country. So we'll see what happens. But the so, good Lord's blessed me with living the American dream. So, uh, Mr. Secretary, on the 15th, Nikki Haley's going to be officially in. Tim Scott's on a listening tour. That's going to result in a, a bid. What about you? To, would you go against your former teammates and your <laughs> former president? I love Tim. I think the American people are going to get treated to a big group of conservative believers who are out there making their case for why they ought to be the next president of the United States. I hope everyone who thinks they're that person goes after it, chases that, and that we have a solid, reasoned, logical, serious debate about the direction of our country. It matters too much to do it any other way, Brian. What's your timeline? Oh, next handful of months, Susan and I will think our way through this, keep praying and figure it out. Is there anybody in the race now you don't think you could beat? <laughs> uh, it's not about who you're competing against. Uh, you, you are competing to convince the American people that you are the right person for the job at this time. Uh, that's, the, uh, that's the concept, and I hope everyone who engages in the campaign uh, behaves in a way that justifies what the American people are demanding, serious, thoughtful, determined leadership that fixes the kind of things we're seeing in America today. And by the way, you don't have to make your resume. Your book is your resume. You want to know what kind of candidate it'll be. Look at his life story. It's in Never Give an Inch. Uh, Mr. Secretary, thanks so much for your time. It was good to hear him uh, dodge answering the question. That was Brian Kilmeade, Fox News, was asking the questions, but dodging it, not committing to even run. But he did say, we're going to have a great hodgepodge of conservatives that will be running for president, and that's a good thing. And, of course, that includes former President Donald Trump. Will it be also Mike Pompeo? I don't know. The book's still out on that. But according to a new hypothetical head-to-head matchup by Donald Trump against Joe Biden, there's a new poll out that says Trump would beat Biden by three points. 48% of registered voters in this poll, it's an ABC News Washington Post poll, and it was released yesterday, said that they would vote for Trump. 45% said they would vote for Biden. So this falls within the four-point margin of error of the poll. It's a flip from September when Biden was winning by two points. Independent voters, possibly the most important voting bloc in the nation, favor Trump by nine points in a 50% to 41% split. Most Americans are not looking forward to a rematch between Trump and Biden in 24 and want other candidates as their respective nominees instead. If Biden ran for a second term, 30% of Americans said they would be angry. Another 32% said they would be dissatisfied but not angry. Only 7% said they would be enthusiastic. If Biden won re-election, 
29% said while they would be satisfied, they would not be enthusiastic. 36% of those 1,000-plus people polled said they would be angry if he won four more years, while 20% said they would be dissatisfied. Now remember, polls are important, but many have proven to be so corrupt, so wrong, or so incompetent in the past, especially those of ABC News, Washington Post, Fox Face News, and NBC Fake News, Globalist Street, Wall Street Journal, that they have become somewhat meaningless. Of course, this is former President Trump speaking. CNN polls no longer matter in that so few people are watching CNN and MSNBC anymore. Talking about Democrats and Democrat-leaning independent voters, in this poll, 58% would want a different candidate than Biden as their nominee in 24. On the other side, 31% said they would support Biden. When it comes to Republicans and Republican-leaning independents, almost half said they would prefer a different candidate than Trump to be their nominee versus the 44% who want another Trump White House bid. Both on the Democrat and Republican side, the support for the respective presidents is essentially unchanged since this poll was taken last back in September. I got to be honest with you, my sense, and it's just my opinion, but I sense this election cycle in 2024 is wide open. I really do on the conservative side, and it's wide open on the Democrat side. Who is going to run if, for instance, Joe Biden decides he's not going to run? We don't see a lot of established potential candidates out there. There'll be a bunch that will jump in, no doubt about it. How many did we have in the last election on the Democrat side initially? 13, 14, 15, it was, it was a bunch, and they didn't last long. But you know what's going to be the deciding factor? It always is. Who's got the most money at the begin of the formal campaign season? Who has the staying power to fight through all of these preliminaries and get to a convention where they can be elected to serve as the candidate representing the Democrat Party? I got to be honest with you, it, every four years, this is the big election, of course, when the presidential race is part of it. Midterms are important too, but not nearly as important as those four years election cycles. This is going to be a humdinger. And I got to be honest with you, I don't think that it's going to be an easy race for anybody on either side because there's good stuff on both sides. There's bad stuff on both sides. It's going to come down to who convinced the American people they're the best choice. And Americans are wising up to that. Most Americans are no longer just taking for granted what the media are telling them on all the policies that are important to them. They're doing investigative stuff on their own, which is the way it needs to happen. We all need to take responsibility for our own thoughts, our own desires, and our needs regarding those who we elect to service 
and elect to fill these slots, not just the president and vice president, not just members of the House and the Senate, but from top to bottom in our local governments, in our state governments. We, if we want real change, it can only be instituted by us. Get involved. Do some homework. So let's talk, let's go back to today. Let's go back to the U.S. State Department. They're putting out all these grants. And I think it's it's common, the State Department of whichever administration is powered, they do give grants. But they're pretending now, the Biden Administration Department of State is pretending to offer grants for people who are proponents of free speech. But while they're doing that, offering those grants, they're disqualifying anybody who disagrees with their woke agenda. If your speech promotes biological males playing women's sports, abortion on demand, and the sexual indoctrination of six years old, this State Department is offering three-quarters of a million-dollar grants to help you stamp out the free speech of anyone who disagrees with you. If you want government funding, your free speech initiative should include women and girls in all their diversity, LGBTQI plus persons, transgender or gender-diverse persons in particular, migrants, members of marginalized racial, ethnic, and indigenous communities, religious minority group members, and others targeted by anti-rights actors. That's in the requirements that are published by the State Department. In its Notice of Funding Opportunity, quote, ensuring freedom of expression for vulnerable and marginalized populations responding to any rights efforts and targeted attacks, the State Department notes that grants will only be given to those whose programs have strong support from and participation by lesbian and bisexual women, transgender and intersex individuals, and other gender-diverse persons. Strong proposals, it says, will include a strong gender analysis that looks at the unique needs of women and girls, including lesbian and bisexual women, as well as transgender, intersex, and other gender diverse and gender nonconforming persons, women of color, women with disabilities, and or women who experience multiple and intersecting human rights violations and abuse. Now, despite its stated aim, funding projects seeking to promote and protect freedom of expression, the State Department makes clear it will only fund projects promoting a very specific type of free speech, that which advocates for radical LGBT goals and the pro-abortion movement. This initiative, when you look at it, seems to focus on Measures taken by Governor Ron DeSantis down in Florida, especially his resistance to child sex indoctrination, since he appears to be a probable threat to a Democrat run for the White House 
if he runs in 2024. Freedom of expression for vulnerable and marginalized communities is infringed by discriminatory legislation, government persecution, targeted attacks on civil society and its operating space, and orchestrated attacks by those who are opposed to equal recognition of human rights for all persons universally. Increasingly targeted anti-rights attacks, including anti-gender movements, have variously mobilized public support against inclusive legislation and are promoted and propagated discriminatory legislation intended to curtail speech. In other words, they're trying to spread the money and cover up what it's for by calling it any measure, any organization, any group, any project that is going to fight the anti-free speech agendas of groups around the nation. Those are the ones that are going to get this money. But there's a caveat. You want the money? You want free speech, and you want to go after the anti-free speechers, here's what you got to be doing right now, and you've got to be able to prove that you're supporting all of these, uh, I don't know the right word to use, strange aberrations in people. I don't know. There's no question about it. There are Americans that fit into every one of those slots that this grant requirement covers, they're out there. But these are tax dollars the State Department is doling out in grants. 750000 a pop. Why would I want to support such an effort? Why would most Americans support that? It, no, most Americans wouldn't. But does that matter? No. That's just another Biden administration uh, activity that it exists. And they're going to invest millions of American tax dollars doing just that. We haven't talked about our southern border today. We've got to before we end the show. Numbers are out. More than 800,000 border crossers and illegal aliens have been released into the U.S. without a notice to appear in immigration court by this Department of Homeland Security since Biden took office. 800,000. Those are the ones we, we caught. We know they're here. And they were just released into the U.S., given no instructions to come back to go to court so that a judge could hear your claim of right to be in the United States. Almost a million people. We don't know where they are. CBS News broke this information first, and their report details to the extent to which the agency released hundreds of thousand border crossers and illegals into our interior without court dates. Instead, border crossers were given a notice to report to an Immigration and Customs Enforcement, that's ICE office, or Parole Plus Alternatives to Detention, that's called ATD. Specifically, almost 600,000 of them were given notices to, re, uh, to report 
by Biden's DHS, ensuring their release into the U.S. interior with no follow-up to appear before an immigration judge. None. The other roughly 200,000 of them were initially released on parole plus with only a notice to report, but were subsequently given court dates. Months later, Florida Attorney General Ashley Moody revealed in court records that in the summer of 2021 alone, Biden's DHS released more than 150,000 border crossers and illegal aliens into our communities with only a little piece of paper that says you've got you've got to report to an ICE office, the closest one to where you live now. Those releases by Biden's DHS, that's just a fraction of the number of border crossers and illegals released into the U.S. interior through the administration's expansive catch-and-release network. Tom McClintock, he's a rare Republican in Congress from California. He recently stated in congressional testimony nearly 2 million border crossers and illegals have been directly released into the U.S. interior since Biden took office, in addition to 1.2 million illegals who have successfully crossed the border. In other words, we know about 2 million of them. Another 1.2 million we know, but they are the ones that got away and did not go through the system. Since Joe Biden canceled the Remain in Mexico policy, and ordered ICE not to enforce court-ordered deportations. We've seen 1.7 million deliberately admitted into the country. Another 1.2 known gotaways have entered while the Border Patrol has been overwhelmed, changing diapers and taking names. You know, I, I know people get tired of us having this conversation and drilling it down every day. More and more and more numbers. And you get, you get tired of it. You know what's horrible? The most horrible thing about it? The Biden administration from the president on down. And those that are at the top with the Biden administration that are considered to be Biden handlers, every one of them knows that you are getting tired of hearing about this. And what happens, we grow numb listening to the same information over and over and over again. And they know, or they think, Americans are just going to get numb to it, forget listening to it, forget reading about it. We're living in that world, folks. That is what's happening right now in your country, in my country. And those at the top, they got to stop it. They've got to. Hey, guys, thanks for starting the week with us here. You have a blessed day. We'll see you first thing tomorrow morning. Back when I was a child Before life removed all the innocence My father would lift me high And dance with my mother Stairs he would carry me 
And I knew for sure I was loved If I could get another chance Another walk, another dance with him I'd play a song that would never, ever end How I'd love, love, love To dance with my father Again. Ooh, ooh, ooh. When I and my mother would disagree to get my way, I would run from her to him. He'd make me laugh just to comfort me. Then finally make me do just what my mama said Later that night when I was asleep He left a dollar under my sheet Never dreamed that he would be gone from me If I could steal one final one final step, one final dance with him. I'd play a song that would never, ever end. Cause I'd love, love, love to dance with my father again. Sometimes I'd listen outside her door. I'd hear how my mother cried for him I pray for her even more than me I pray for her even more than me This is all I ever dreamed